Okay, so before we get started, there are two companion teaching CDs that are available on the back table, correct? And uh, the first one is, actually these are both teachings by Dr. R.C. Sproul. Both of these come from the 2005 Shepherds Conference, where he's talking about the doctrine of justification by faith. And um, the first one, he actually teaches what the Roman position on justification is and talks to some degree about Roman church tradition. And uh, then on the second one, he actually talks about justification from a biblical perspective. And uh, so these are very, very helpful. And um, they're free. They're on the back table. I would encourage you to get these and listen to these. It will greatly enhance your understanding of the doctrine of justification, and it will greatly enhance your understanding of what was at stake in the Reformation. Okay? So, um, there you are. I have uh, some various other resources I'm just going to tell you about that I've been using as I've been doing some of my research. For instance, here's a little booklet. Luther's 95 Theses. So this is just a little deal that, that has the 95 Theses he nailed to the, the, to the door. And um, these are available online. There's plenty of versions of this. Um, these are a couple of charts that I got from Rose Publishing. You might be familiar with them. Christian History Timeline. Okay? And then you open it up and it kind of kind of gives you highlights of various events that happened in church history, okay? So, church history timeline. You can buy these for like four bucks. They're real helpful. Rose Publishing, okay? They're available online. Here's another one. Reformation Timeline, okay? This comes from Rose Publishing as well. And here it just goes through and it it, uh, starts in the beginning of the Reformation and goes through and talks about all the key events and the key people that were involved. And uh, a very helpful little chart, which I tried to duplicate in my lesson today, on the back that shows Protestant denominations that came um, came from the Reformation. Okay? So these are just some um, some things I've been using to do research. Another thing is the uh, Roman Catholic catechism and all of their church documents are available online you can log right on to the vatican website and there they all are big as day and uh, there's a lot of things that you can learn there um and of course you can always verify what people are saying because you know a lot of things get tossed around so uh anyway i just wanted to point out some of these resources another very helpful resource that i use is is called wikipedia you might be familiar with that some people like it. Some people hate it. Um, I think it's a very helpful resource. Um, and it's helped me immensely. Yes, Joe. Okay. Greatsite.com. Wikipedia. I am in no way endorsing anything that is on that website. <laughs> it's big. It's big, and, and here's the deal. It's it's a... Uh, it's an encyclopedia that's updated by the public. 
So it's it's uh, it's it's very it's very interesting. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, well, when it's questionable, it says this is questionable. So if you read anything there and you don't like it, you can put a big old red X on it and say, "I'm disputing the authenticity of this information or whatever." And there's a lot of a lot of uh, some of these issues actually have that mm. right at the top. So. Um, Nevertheless, for me, it has been a very helpful resource. You might find it that way, too. I trust you have enough discernment to know what the gospel is at this point. Amen. 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 Surely, if you have the Holy Spirit and you are dealing faithfully with the scriptures, right? It's clear as the noonday sun. Would you agree? Okay. All right. So with that, we're going to pray first. Okay, let's pray. God, our Father, we are grateful that you are the King. We're grateful, God, that you are the creator of all that exists. Indeed, we are filled with joy at the very thought of you, God. Indeed, you are glorious. You are eternally happy and fulfilled. You are the loving, gracious, heavenly Father who forgives all of our sins and removes them from us as far as the east is from the west through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. We thank you for our blessed Lord and for his blessed passion on the cross, for his precious blood and his glorious resurrection, his perfect life of obedience to your holy law. We thank you. And God, these things have been afforded to us simply because we trust and believe upon the Lord Jesus. And so we thank you. We thank you that now the blessed Holy Spirit has come to live in our hearts and now begun to transform us into your likeness as we are uh, continually moved along by your Spirit and sanctified. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives, in our homes, in our families, in our church, in our world. God, we look at your plan of redemption and we are in awe. And so, Lord, even as we hate sin, and all that is in the world, we look eagerly for your return. We pray, O oh Lord Jesus, that you would come soon, come quickly, and restore all things. To this hope we eagerly look forward, and it's all available because of your precious holy cross. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so <clears throat> with that, we're going to start into a section of our lesson on the gospel talking about the doctrine of justification by faith. And um, I want to kind of mention my disclaimer again, and, and I'm going to mention the Catholic Church now and call it the Catholic Church, but I won't be calling it the Catholic Church anymore. I don't think that's a good term. I like to call it the Roman Church, because really the term Catholic Church implies the universal church, and that belongs to the faithful of all ages. Amen. And so, but if you will, in this brief survey of the Protestant Reformation and what took place, I'm going to highlight some various doctrines and traditions of the Catholic Church, what is called the Catholic Church, what I like to call the Roman Church. And... In this, I am not trying to offend anyone. Please hear me. It is not my goal or my intent to offend, but to educate. 
And furthermore, I will not be talking about Catholic people. I am talking about Catholic teaching in the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I will mention some Catholic people, but these are, are not talking about the body of Catholics in the Roman Catholic Church, but rather some various different leaders within the Catholic Church through the ages. I may mention them even by name. In fact, I will. Um, but uh, the point is, is that I am in no way talking about Catholic people. Okay, I love Catholic people just like I love all people. I am not intending to offend anyone, and I want to make sure that's clear. Everybody hear me on that? Yeah. Okay, all right. So then, uh, with that, we're going to start on page 93. And I'm going to try to work my way through page 97, if possible. And uh, we're going to talk about justification by faith. And I have entitled this, The Heart of the Gospel. Justification by faith, the heart of the gospel. And so if you think about those terms just for a minute, what I am saying is, is that this doctrine, this teaching about (laughs) justification and how it is applied is really the central message of the gospel. And in fact, if you affirm the biblical doctrine of justification, with it you must affirm all the other essential doctrines. For instance, just to couple to name a few, the authority of Scripture. Because if the Scripture isn't authoritative on what it says about justification and how it is received, right, now we have a problem with the authority of Scripture. And, of course, we consider that to be an essential of the historic Christian faith. And um, more than that, um, if you affirm the biblical doctrine of justification, you must also inf- uh, affirm the deity of Christ and the incarnation of Christ, that he was both fully man and fully God. And if you don't believe that, then you don't believe the biblical doctrine of justification by faith because only that man, only the God-man, Christ Jesus, can work the atonement that he has worked. And it's in his person and his work that we trust and that is at the heart of what justification by faith is. Okay, We believe on the one whom God has sent, in the words of Jesus. We believe on him and in what he has done, so our faith and our hope is in God. Amen? And so, <clears throat> if you will, when you affirm a biblical uh, teaching about justification, then, if you will, this is the very gospel that we preach. This is what we're telling people. This is what we believed. This is what made us a Christian. When we came and we believed this doctrine, this teaching, this is, this is what makes us Christians, okay? And this is what shows we've been truly born again by the Holy Spirit. When we affirm that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we have been reconciled to God. Amen? Okay, so with that, I'm going to talk about the Protestant Reformation because it exposes very clearly how this teaching about justification can become clouded through various means and teachings and so on. And it shows us why there are so many schisms of denominational thought and and teaching in the modern church and, uh, or should I say postmodern church, however you want to call that. 
But uh, the fact of the matter is, is that the Reformation was really a culmination of many, many, many centuries of decline of the one true church. And if you will, uh, what eventually happened was uh, enough people began to uh, protest uh, what was going on. And from that sprung the Protestant Reformation, which has changed the face of Christianity forever. And, of course, this happened approximately 500 years ago. But I want to just kind of give you some history about it. Now, I am definitely not an expert on church history. Uh, I have done some study on church history. I'm going to present some facts to you. Um, it is possible that I may err in something I'm saying. If you want to point that out to me, I would be grateful if you do that. Um, furthermore, I am not an authority on Roman doctrine. Okay? But the things I'm quoting, I have thoroughly researched, and I have researched them from a Roman position, not just from a Protestant position. So I wanted to make sure and qualify some of the things I said. However, I may err and misrepresent something that Rome teaches. If, that, if I do that, please point that out to me. I would be grateful for that. Okay? So with that, let's talk about justification by faith, the heart of the gospel, and let's talk about uh, the Protestant Reformation. So we're going to be going in a series for many weeks talking about justification. This is just kind of the uh, opening up of Pandora's box, if you will. The Protestant Reformation, what was the protest? You ever thought about that? I think I mentioned it to you last week. Are you a Protestant? Many would consider yourselves to be Protestant. If you are, have you considered what you're protesting? Do you know what you're protesting? Have you maybe been taught what you're protesting? Maybe you never knew and you were relying on some good Bible teacher somewhere to tell you. Um, it seems to me like for the first ten years of my Christian life, that thing almost completely evaded me if it were not for some faithful um, and public uh, teachers that I was uh, listening to on the radio who were very faithful to kind of point me in the right direction. Um, however, consider, what is it that you're protesting? What is it that the Protestant reformers were protesting? Surely the most profound and tumultuous time in church history was the period of the Protestant Reformation. After centuries of the rule of the Roman Church over Christianity, the cries of petition against the abuses of the Church broke loose into a full-scale rebellion against the Roman Church. During the pre-Reformation period, 1215 through 1515 A.D., many foundational activities culminated in the actual Protestant Reformation. So here's what I'm saying is that there was kind of like a pre-Reformation period that took place between 1215 and 1515 A.D. And um, during this time, there were foundational things that were laid down. Foundational things happened that culminated in the Reformation. Okay, So because of various activities that took place with the pre-reformers, okay, it, it kind of paved the way for the reformers to actually uh, make the progress they did. But obviously, as you look through this, you see the good hand of God's providence moving all of these things and bringing them to a culmination, uh, which, which actually uh, created uh, a, a glorious freeing of the word of God and of the gospel 
on, on, in one sense, and then in another sense created a whole other set of problems. But even God's good providence in that is, is that here he is today calling me out of light, Amen. out of darkness into light. Amen? And uh, the Holy Spirit is still at work applying the work of redemption even in this late day. Well, <clears throat> these foundational things that took place were mainly surrounding the efforts of certain men like John Wycliffe, John Huss, and others who protested certain activities of the papacy and the church. John Wycliffe and later William Tyndale sought to translate the Bible into the language of the common people. Okay, so, uh, and I also want to mention Martin Luther here. Martin Luther was also a Bible translator. He translated the Bible into the German language, whereas uh, Wycliffe translated large portions of the Bible into English, as well as William Tyndale. And then all three of these guys had help in what they were doing, even though it was ascribed to them, the translation. Uh, For instance, John Wycliffe has a Wycliffe translation, uh, which was really one of the earliest translations of the Bible, the earliest translation of the Bible into English, was actually done uh, more on the part of those who were helping him, uh, uh, called the Lollards, okay? Um, But uh, they they really were doing the bulk of the work, even though he's attributed the one who, who did the translation. However, he was leading the way through that. Yes, sir. Not during, not during Wycliffe. No, this was uh, a little bit later than that. During the time of, of uh, William Tyndale, Martin Luther was doing his translations into German. Yeah. And there was various other translations going on. Um, but none of this happened before the pre-Reformation period. Before the pre-Reformation period, the Bible was kept in Latin. And, and uh, for a great long period of time before the Pre-Reformation, the Bible was only in Latin and only copied in Latin and only copied by uh, the monastic societies and the priesthood in the Roman Church. And so not only that, but during that time, that time period is called the Dark Ages by many. I like the term because I think it's very apt. Um, because during that time... Uh, not only was the word of God kept in Latin and kept, if you will, under lock and key by the church, they didn't want the Bible in the hands of the common people for various reasons, some good and and some not so good. Um, But nevertheless, um, that was the state of affairs. But many of the people during this time were illiterate. And most of the commoners of this day uh, at least in, in uh, Western and Eastern Europe, uh, were, were illiterate peoples. And, and so they didn't really even have a capacity to read and write in the first place. And so during that time, the reason really why the secular culture calls it the Dark Ages is because of the lack of education and the lack of literacy and the lack of enlightenment uh, of knowledge that comes through education. Okay. But I like to think that the greatest thing that made it dark was the fact that the word of God was kept from the common people and it was only governed in certain senses and traditions and rights and, and doctrines that were given to the people. And, and so, if you will, over time, this problem became worse and worse. And, and, and really, the, the, uh, the pre-Reformation period ended, um, well, they say it's about 1415 or right around there. Um, and, and that time period spawned what they call the Renaissance. 
Renaissance. I'm sure I spelled that wrong. But uh, <clears throat> the Renaissance really was also what we call the Enlightenment. Okay? And what happened was um, they made some advances in the ability to print um, material. So now they didn't have to be hand copied. Okay? And along with those advances came the Protestant Reformation, which began to put the Bible in the, hand, uh, uh, in the language of the common people, which then gave the people a drive to want to be literate. And through that whole culmination of events and many other things, okay, the Renaissance was spawned and the Age of Enlightenment began to, to, uh, to, uh, to grow. And so uh, Western civilization, if you will, was really kind of born out of these events. And, and, uh, and so now we live in, in a so-called educated world. Right now we're so educated, right? We all came from monkeys. <laughs> I think it was like 1492. I could be wrong. Anybody know that Gutenberg Press? Yeah, late 1400s. Late 1400s. Okay, so absolutely, absolutely. Right. So when they created the press, you know, they were able to. Rip off the Bibles, man, just, you know, and so this, this, you know, this produced huge amounts of Bibles, and the Bibles went out into the hands of the people, and, and from that, you know, the common man could actually sit down and read his Bible, and uh, before that, family, you had to go a long way back, all the way back to some of the early centuries, um, where they were educated, you know, during the time of, uh, of the first century, during the apostolic era, most of the peoples in the uh, in the Middle Eastern world were educated at that point, and they were very scholarly, especially the Jews. Of course, they learned they were taught literacy from the youngest age, right, so that they could read the law. Well, anyway, I'm rambling at this point. Okay, so then, during the Dark Ages, the period between the fall of Rome in the fifth century and the Renaissance, 1415 A.D a time when the Bible was locked up in Latin by the Roman church, there were very few literate people among the commons. And the only knowledge of scripture that the common people held was that which was learned from the priesthood in the church. As the protest of these people grew stronger over time, it gave rise to several key events which eventually created a huge schism among Christians and spawned the Protestant Reformation, which uh, happened between the time of 1516 and 1563 A.D. And, of course, there's a timeline for you that's really very brief. It, it probably is missing even some major events that happened. Um, but um, there it is. kind of helps us see maybe how things progressed and different things that happened and some of the key figures that were involved in the Reformation. But, again, this happened between the time of 1516 and 1563 and this we call the Reformation period okay 1450 Gutenberg Press says Daryl look at that man he's got internet right there at his Sunday school thing okay so 1450 Gutenberg Press okay these things are fascinating to learn about uh, okay, so the Reformation period between 1516 and 1563. And then, of course, after that is what's called the post-Reformation era. And uh, that's uh, attributed to go 
all the way to, I think it's 1649 or 1689. 1689. Okay. So then, during this time, that is during the Reformation period, several key men made public protests against the Pope and the Church, which culminated in the spawning of several branches of Christianity, such as the Lutheran, Anglican, Anabaptist, and Reformed churches. These branches of Christianity were very focused on biblical reform of Christianity and zealous to pattern the church after biblical directives such as a proper ordinance of the Lord's Supper, church government, and the great doctrine of justification by faith. So, you know, depending on which movement or branch of Christianity that you look at, they, they kind of had a different focus, if you will, um, uh, or, or not always exactly the same degree of focus on certain issues and areas. So they kind of, uh, if you will, created whole different branches of Christianity. Whereas one may have emphasized specific in certain areas and certain doctrines, another may have emphasized others. Okay, But nevertheless, they were all in protest against the Pope and the Roman tradition. Okay, And so, uh, if you will, it, there was a lot of issues at stake. In summary, there were several different branches of Christianity that happened in several different places led by several different men. However, these were all identified by the Roman church as Protestantism. Okay? Protestantism. In the mind of the Roman church, they were the rebels and protesters against the papal control and Roman church tradition. Here is a basic chart of the first Protestant branches of Christianity. So there we look at the top half of page 94. And if you start up in the very upper left corner of that chart, we can just say that that is pre-11th century. Okay? Before that time, there was what we call one holy Catholic church. One holy universal church. The church, for the most part, um, was one church. Um, and through a series of events happening all the way from the apostolic area, era and moving forward, you can look on the other page on 93 and see the Reformation timeline. I actually included time all the way back to the cross there, but very briefly talked about the period of the early church and then the period of the Dark Ages. Um, and, of course, during the early church, there was no papacy, if you will. Uh, the papacy was actually formally um, commissioned um, in in the uh, in the uh, sixth century, okay. And I think it's Pope Gregory who was actually the uh, the the first real pope. And of course, that is disputed. Of course, the Catholic Church says they have a papal succession all the way from the Apostle Peter, okay. Um, but of course, if you do some research on that, you'll you'll find uh, the issues that are at stake there. Um, <clears throat> so, starting then at our chart at the top left uh, corner of the chart, there we're looking at the 11th century forward. Okay, now the great schism between the Roman Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church um, happened in 1054. So. What you have today as a result of those two is the Eastern Orthodox Church is a denomination in and of themselves. And, um, of course, the Roman Church is still the Roman Church. And uh, But what happened after that, some 500 years later, 
was the Protestant Reformation. And in the Protestant Reformation, which really is attributed to, um, as, as really happening uh, in, in the 16th century there, in the early part of the 16th century, uh, in the year 1517, there was a, a, a great schism there of the uh, Lutheran, the Reformed, and the Anabaptist churches. Okay? Then as you look at that, you can see that <clears throat> there was also the Church of England, which at a certain point in history, namely 1534 A.D., they embraced a form of Protestant Christianity. However, if you will, that form, if you look up at the top there, the Anglican or Episcopal Church, really was, was the first Church of England. They, um, they weren't really, if you will, following the zeal of the other reformers. Um, reason being is that that early uh, English church was governed by the throne in England and mixed with the hierarchy of the, or the monarchy of, of the English government. And so it wasn't until a certain part in time in the post-Reformation era where the English or Anglican or Episcopal Church really began to come into uh, uh, focus with the other Reformers. So that's why you see them as a different branch. You see the Anglican and the Methodist Church, if you will, as a different branch. Um, but, of course, what has come from that is many of the modern-day denominations, some of which are listed here, and uh, it's kind of interesting to see, really, who came from who and what roots came from where. Like, for instance, did you know that <clears throat> the Calvary Chapel movement is an offshoot of the Pentecostals, which was, a, which was uh, early on and, uh, in the 20th century, an offshoot of the Methodist movement? Okay, and so, if you will... Those are very different, very different in their origin from Baptistic forms of uh, church government, church denominations. Okay? Yes? Okay, well, they're just veering from the historic identifications of those denominations. So, these days, you know, we, we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of denominations, right? And, of course, then we have thousands upon thousands of churches who call themselves free and independent churches who aren't a part of a denomination, like this one, for example. Um, and they may or may not identify with Protestantism. Um, so, but what, what makes someone truly a Protestant, Right? And so that's an issue. So if we were to maybe sit them down and talk to them about their doctrines of justification, their doctrines of church government, and so on and so forth, they might well fall doctrinally or theologically in the classification of a Protestant. Um, but namely, those things are centered around a protest against the, the teaching of the Roman church. Okay? So that's, when we talk about Protestantism, we are talking about Christianity that is namely in direct refutation of Roman doctrine. And so some may affirm that, some may not. As a matter of fact, there are many, if you will, even evangelical uh, Christian churches nowadays who have shaken hands with Roman church. 
and have aligned themselves uh, with the Roman church for various reasons and practices. And, and again, I mean, there are many, many hundreds of different kinds of denominations. The, the schisms have never stopped, right? Um, and so it's important now that we have the ability to be able to look at a religious system and have some discernment as to whether or not that, that religious system is really teaching the fundamentals of historic Christianity. Uh, especially because the fact that many of these hundreds of denominations really theologically are what we would consider to be a cult or, or teaching a false form of Christianity. Okay? And so th- it's important to be able to have that discernment. Yes, ma'am. Well, there's a lot of mixture of terms there. When you say the council, I mean, we're talking, and there's been hundreds of councils throughout church history. So are you talking specifically about the Council of Trent? or many councils prior to the Roman Catholic Church that the church leaders came together to discuss doctrine. Uh-huh. So when, they, when the Christian leaders came together to discuss doctrine, the Roman Catholics actually broke from that in establishing their own doctrine No, no, actually the Roman church was the true church. Mm -hmm. There was a point in time in history when they affirmed all of the essentials of the historic Christian faith. Mm -hmm. Namely, all the way from the first century, if you will, all the way up until the time of the Protestant Reformation, when certain church councils that were held actually brought all of these issues to light, and these things were actually documented, and, and if you will, the result of that was the Protestant Reformation. So um, I'm not sure exactly what distinction you're, you're, you're driving at, except I'm not saying that the Roman Church was not the true church. Uh, through a large part of church history, I do believe it was. And, and it, you know, if we call it the Roman Church, okay, well, that, that also has a, you know, what do you mean when you say the Roman church? Well, when I say the Roman church here, I'm, I'm really talking about the Roman church during the time of, of the Reformation. Okay? But there was actually, in church history, a true Roman church. The book of Romans is written to them. And they existed all the way in the apostolic era. And, and that Roman church was one true church. Okay? Throughout the history of the church and still is the one true church, okay? However, there came a point in church history, namely during this time period uh, of what I would call the Dark Ages, where that church began to indulge itself in several kinds of practices that made it veer from the essentials of the historic Christian faith. And so for many centuries, that, if you will, Roman church, um, was in a process of, of steering away from the essentials of the historic Christian faith. And ultimately, what happened was that culminated in the schism, which we call the Protestant Reformation. I was just talking family tree, that if we're basing, we're coming from a, a, a free, we're not basing ourselves <coughs> off the Roman Catholic Church. We actually predate that from our beliefs. 
Okay. It was during the Dark Ages too that the apocryphal books were adopted by the Roman Church, which further then spread the. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you know, Bill is, is saying that the, at some point in history, the apocryphal books were adopted by um, the church. And, uh, and that's true. And that created some major problems. And, you know, hey, there's a lot of events that took place in the course of church history that created major problems. Mm -hmm. However, we're looking specifically at this era here and talking about what happened in the Protestant Reformation for the purpose of exposing the doctrine of justification by faith. Okay? Yes, ma'am. And it seems like it's correct to say that it did come from the Roman Church. Martin Luther was a monk of the Roman Church. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. And um, some of the other, not all of them, but some of the other major leaders came from the Roman Church, directly from us. They started out as monks. Yes, yeah. Uh, well, all the all the reformers came from the Roman Church. All of them. <laughs> Why? Because, well, during that time, the one true church was the Roman Church. Now, if you will, there were some very obscure other small types of Christians in the world. I'm not going to go into that, although they did exist before the time of the Reformation, um, if you will. Um, and that's to say nothing about the Orthodox Church. I'm not even going there. Uh, I'm, I'm simply talking about what happened in the Reformation. Okay? And um, again, if I misrepresent something, please let me know. I will be grateful for that. So, if you're looking at the chart at the top of page 94, you can see the various branches. Okay? And I've got them highlighted with these boxes. So they say the Anglican or Episcopal Church, the Methodist Church, the Baptist Church, the Congregational Church, the Reformed Church, the Lutheran Church, and the Anabaptist Church. Okay, From those, most of the Protestant denominations of our day can be traced. Okay, um, and, and, and again, there's been so many various kinds of, of uh, schisms and separations between these groups that... It can be a very difficult process. Okay? Yes, ma'am. Is there any meaning in the Lutheran Church and the Anabaptist Church not being white in your chart? You know how the other churches are. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Maybe this would help. Oh. <laughs> so you're looking at a black and white copy, but the Baptist and the Congregational have the exact same color as the Reform because they're branches that came off of the Reformed Church. They actually have their origin in, in, in uh, the Reformed Church. Okay? Whereas some of the other ones really are their own branch. The Lutheran Church is still the Lutheran Church. That was the Lutheran Church in the very beginning of the Reformation. Okay? So, and again, there are modern-day Lutherans who, you know, have, have gone a different route. Even the Evangelical Free Church is a branch of the Lutheran Church. Um, but again... Um, if you will, those are the main branches that, that broke off, and, and for various different reasons. Okay, the Reformed Church really was kind of, was kind of authored by Zwingli and, and Calvin, and whereas the Lutheran Church really was, was almost wholly you know, put together by Luther and, and the, the men he was teaching. And, and, uh, um, 
and so they, you know, they're in a different geographical area. They're speaking a different language. They have a whole different set of circumstances that are mm-hmm. facing them than than did the Swiss Church, right? And did also the French Church. And of course, Calvin was involved in the French Reform. And and so, you know, uh, the things that those denominations of people stressed also kind of helped develop that form of of Protestant Christianity. That's why they, you know, are still to this day very different in their form, okay? And so uh, there's that's a big issue, right? But um, let's move on. Because of this protest, many of them were persecuted and killed by the influence of the Roman Church and many other governmental powers of the day. Of course, after all these profound happenings, the face of Christianity would never be the same. There were now Bibles being printed in the common language and many people coming to a personal knowledge of the Word of God and the Gospel was being preached in all European languages and being sent out into the remotest regions of the world. The Word of God had broken free from the tight Latin grip of the Roman Church and a new liberty was unleashed upon the nations of mankind like never before. But in all of this controversy and struggle... What was at the heart of the protest was an error of essential nature to the historic Christian doctrine, and this could no longer be tolerated. Okay, so what I'm saying is is that the issues that were at the heart of the protest are issues of essential nature versus issues of non-essential nature. You understand what I'm saying? The kind of thing that divides a true Christian church from a cult. Okay? Those things are what we call essentials, essential Christian doctrine. And essential Christian doctrine is what was at the heart of the Reformation protest. Okay? The gospel had been redefined over many years under Roman rule, and the reformers were not going to let it be undermined any longer. At the heart of many of the controversies that were being held out against the church by the reformers was a focus on the sufficiency of the atonement and the doctrine of justification. Okay, here's what I'm saying. Listen, at the heart, at the center, the central issues that were at stake was a focus on the sufficiency of the atonement and the doctrine of justification. Okay, so, and of course, these are essentials of the gospel message. Amen? So think about this. When we use the terms sufficiency of the atonement, okay, is the atonement of Christ sufficient to reconcile us to God? Okay, this is an issue we are saying was at the heart of the Reformation protest. Understand? And therefore, the doctrine of justification. Okay, and and here's the deal. How is it that we're justified before God? On what basis? By what means? How is that applied to us? These are things that we discuss in the doctrine of justification. Okay? But all of that looks back at the work of Christ that he accomplished in the atonement and whether or not that's actually sufficient to reconcile us to God or does it need something added to it in order for our um, uh, reconciliation to God to be complete? You understand? Was the atonement sufficient in and of itself, or was it not? Okay? These are the essentials that were at stake in the Reformation controversy. Okay? 
So then, let's talk about the gospel and the Roman church. Over many years, even centuries, Roman Christianity had morphed and become something very different than its earlier origins of the early church. The institution of several new and unbiblical rituals, traditions, and practices almost completely redefined the church. These church traditions became the focus of the church as she turned her eyes away from the simplicity of the person and work of Christ to the ivory tower of the Roman church. Gradually, over time, these began to severely undermine the sufficiency of the atonement and the doctrine of justification by grace through faith in Christ. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying that there was a point in time back in history when the Roman church was much more pure in her doctrine and much more focused on the gospel and focused on Christ and focused on the nature of God. And that over time, over time, she morphed into something very different. Okay? So that by the time of the Reformation, the whole face of the church was something very different than it had been some thousand years earlier. Okay? when all of these were added together, it made for a completely different form of Christianity than Jesus and the apostles had taught. The focus had turned from the glorious good news of the person and work of Christ to the veneration of popes and saints, and the church had become the richest institution on earth off the back of the poor common people who were now to work their way to heaven through their own merit and worse yet, to purchase it through the sale of indulgences. And so you kind of need to consider the things that were actually going on during this time period, okay? Now we're talking about this specific time period right here. And we're not talking about anything before that, okay? What was going on in the church during this time period, okay? And what did the church look like? I'm telling you, it was the richest institution in the world. And still remains that. Okay? Yes, ma'am. The encouraging thing, though, for me is that even during that period when the church was growing up, there were faithful people who were holding to the church. Not many, but guys like Wycliffe and Hush before the church Yes, there were. Yes, there were. And I. Yeah, and I would like to affirm that there, there, there have been faithful Christians throughout the church all the way through church history. There were faithful Christians in the Roman church during this time when all of these things were happening. Okay? There are still faithful Christians in the Roman church. And I'm not saying there aren't. Okay? The problem becomes, uh, what is it that they're trusting in to be a Christian? Okay? And that's, of course, where all the controversy lies. Yes? No, uh, I mean, you can look back through the history, and again, I'm not, I'm not an expert on church history, okay? But from my understanding, there were various popes at various times. Some were good, some were not so good. But in my mind, the whole idea of a papacy really is not a good thing for the church, obviously. Uh, and I'm going to talk about that, but, but the point is, is that it's not necessarily the papacy that was morphing, although it was, um, it was the church itself, the institution of the church itself that was morphing and becoming something very different in these latter times than it was earlier. 
So I think there was a gradual decline over the centuries. Um, However, during this time, it had become something that could no longer be tolerated, especially by people that were serious students of the Bible. Okay? And so um, let's, let's talk about why that is. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. I think I better keep this for next week, but I'm going to comment for a few minutes here on, on what this stuff uh, is. So what I'm telling you is that over time, the church had become what it was at this time, and that that really was a substantial difference from what it was earlier in history. And the reason why is that over time, it began to take on certain rites and traditions that really were steering away from the simplicity of the gospel. Okay, and it began to redefine what church government looked like, and and you know the church gov- the, the government of the church in the early church was something far different than it was uh, in the Middle Ages, and something very far different than what it was during the Reformation era. Okay, and so what I'm saying as it as it morphed, these things began to culminate. It's like a big s- snowball rolling down a hill and picking up more stuff along the way, okay? Until there came a point in time when the face of the Roman church was something very different than what the Bible taught about what the church ought to be and who the church really was and what the actual rites and traditions and ordinances and teachings of the church really were. Yes, sir? Did you see a date when basically the veneration of Mary kind of replaced the veneration of Christ? I, I, I don't think that that is something... Here, here's the thing. Um, here's the thing. The, the Roman church at different points and times in history, to my knowledge, has different and varying degrees of its focus on, on Maryism. Okay? So there may have been certain points in history when it was worse than it is. Um, however... Um, Again, I think that those things gradually over time, you know, became something that really began to steer the church away from its roots. Um, And and so, no, I don't think there was a point in time when, you know, all of a sudden they started off into this whole doctrine of Mary and and all of those things. I think it's something that gradually happened over time. Yes, sir? Well, it happened gradually over time. It became uh, official church doctrine in the late 1800s. Yeah, well... So, I mean, so... It was a change, but it did become official doctrine in the late 1800s. So but you, you, you speak time. specifically of what doctrine? Veneration of Mary. So okay, well, so, I mean, you can go back in church history and find official church doctrine about the veneration of Mary far before the, the 1800s. It was official doctrine. It was more traditional. I can point some out to you, absolutely, all the way, all the way back to the 11th century. Right, so here's this other thing that happens when you start talking about, like, the veneration of Mary, was there a specific date, or the official church doctrine of Mary. Here's the thing, I'm telling you. These things happen gradually over time, little by little, little by little, here a little, there a little, okay? Until ultimately it culminated in the events that happened here, okay? So, um, here's what, what I, where I'm going to go next week. Okay, I'm going to highlight some of the main issues that were at stake during the Reformation period, and I'm going to talk to you about how they were practiced by the Roman Church and why the Reformers were protesting. Okay, 
specifically what the Bible has to say about that. And, and um, it's all written there on my handout. If you'd like to take a perusal of that before next week, we can do that. And I will be very glad to get beyond this because I can sense the controversy in the air. <laughs> um, so, however, I want to remind you that the purpose and the goal of this survey of history and doctrine is so that we can clearly understand the fine points that are at stake in the doctrine of justification by grace through faith in Christ. Okay? And trust me, I am going to get there as we move our way through here. Okay? I have time for maybe another couple questions. Does anybody have any more? Yeah, Jeff. I was just going to comment that I think Bill was referring to the ecumenical councils in the Vatican I and Vatican II when they were starting to form their catechism and doctrine. Mm-hmm. So again... There's this big, there's this big broad term, veneration of Mary. Okay, veneration of Mary is not something that began in the 1800s. Right, I'm not saying it began, and, and I don't think Bill was either. I think you're just saying that they were making it a foundational thing. In well, he's saying an official, official observance of the church. Right, and isn't that right. what the Catholic Church was doing when they did their ecumenical councils, and then Vatican One and Vatican Two? The, the Vatican One and Vatican Two are two of hundreds of councils that have been held by the Roman Church throughout the course of, of history. And in all of these various councils, their doctrine is morphing. It's changing. It's, it's, it's being clarified in many times. It's being, uh, it's being disputed many times. Just like all the way back in the true church, we've had councils to come together and dispute issues, right? And dispute doctrinal heresies. And we look to those councils as authoritative Inasmuch as the church at that time was affirming essential Christian doctrine. But you see, there came a point in time in history when, when the Roman church specifically began to move away from essential Christian doctrine. I'm talking about things like the authority of Scripture. So when, when the church, um, immediately, nowadays, when a church says they don't believe the Bible is the Word of God, and there's a higher authority than the Bible itself, and that is the interpretation of the church itself, what do we say about that group of people? Right. That, that is an essential of the historic Christian faith, which we are not going to sacrifice. Okay? Not to mention when you start talking about the essentials of, of the gospel <laughs> and how somebody is saved and justified and reconciled to God and how that's applied to their life. That is the most important issue in all of Christianity. Are you with me? So what I'm saying is through a course of time and a series of many, many, many hundreds of years and many, many hundreds of events and things and councils and all of that, the church began to become something that was very different than what biblical Christianity was. And that really is what spawned all of this protest by the pre-reformers and the reformers. Okay? Yes, ma'am. I just wanted to recommend a book that you've recommended before by R.C. Sproul called Faith Alone um, is, was excellent for me to read. It gives this whole background, you know, starting with where the church was at, just 
really laying out the Catholic beliefs at that time, the Roman Catholic Church, and and how these truths, it's all about justification by faith alone, mm-hmm. but bringing you to that point so you understand all the different things that were going on. It was, it was excellent. Okay, faith alone by R.C. Sproul. Let me also say, folks, it, it, it's not about Romanism, and it's not about Protestantism. It's about the truth. Okay? And and it's not about, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of, of Pope Leo X. I'm, okay, it's not about that. The issue is, how does the Bible tell us that we're reconciled to God? How does that happen? What are the means What is the truth about salvation? How is it that Jesus saves his people from their sins? Are you with me? And that is something that comes out of the revelation of God, which we call the Bible. Okay? And no matter what any denomination or any church has ever said about it, it doesn't change the reality of what God has revealed in his word. Okay? And and if you will... That is something very, very exclusive. So if you study the way of salvation in the Bible, it is very, very exclusive, and it happens in a very specific way, and it's not some broad, big bowl of jello or stew that you just, you know, throw every big fancy thing in the pot and let it all cook together. It doesn't work like that, okay? Jesus is the way to the Father, okay? And we lay hold of Jesus through faith. And that happens by God's grace and by the power of regeneration that happens through the Holy Spirit. Okay? And, and so again, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to come across this church, that church. It's, it's not like that. I'm highlighting some things in church history that happen to have a lot of labels, but all bring forth the clarity of this issue about justification, and I'm, I'm confident that you will see that as we move on in the weeks to come. Okay? Let's pray. God, our Father, we honor you and we bless you. Dear Lord, we look at your good hand of providence down through the ages, and we stand in awe of the things which you have done. We thank you for the privilege that we have, God, to hold a Bible in our hands. And for the privilege that we have to have the knowledge of your plan of redemption, the knowledge of salvation, even a true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the privilege that we can know Jesus. And Lord, that we can know you through him. God, we praise you, we honor you, and we bless you. We thank you for the privilege that we now are the temple of the Holy Spirit through regeneration. God, that you have been so kind as to call us out of darkness, each individual one of us, God, and bring us into the kingdom of light. We thank you for the great thing that you have done in our life. We thank you for the precious blood of Jesus, and we thank you for salvation by grace through faith in Christ. I pray, Lord, as we continue to look at these things, specifically looking at your word concerning these matters, that you would help us to more clearly understand the gospel and to more clearly understand the teaching about salvation. We honor you and we bless you because of Jesus' holy cross. Amen.